Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Oh, is my hair okay? Fantastic. Your hair looks good. <laughs> it's shiny. Do I need to move the light, Reese? Is it blinding you? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> right. Today we welcome Daniel Stephen. Daniel is the founder and head coach at The Executive Health Coach. He's been working in the health space for 11 and a half years, the last five years working with male executives and business owners, guiding them to improve their physical and mental health and level up their whole life. Imagine this, no more diets that leave you starving and miserable or spending your limited time off prepping meals for the following week. No more yo-yoing on the scales. Learn how to become healthy with minimum disruption to your life from the holistic approach to well-being. Welcome to TNT, Daniel. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great, it's great to, to have you. Here. Yeah, it's been a year in the making. Yeah. It's, yes. really, it's really awesome to finally be here in the space with you and talk holistic. It's nice to not have had any injuries in the last few months, so I'm able to be on this call, to be totally <laughs> honest, Teresa. So it's a win-win. Yes, indeed. It's been a, a long time in the making, so no pressure. <laughs> We're hoping for something to do here. <clears throat> but seriously, you have been in this space for a long time. Um, a lot of people who work in this space, they focus on the nutrition, they focus on the exercise. But you, I know, through various iterations, I'm sure, and now focusing on the holistic approach to this, the, the, the psychology, the relationship building, the, the whole well-being. When you deal with a client, you're looking for them to be able to embrace the idea of changing me, not just changing a diet or changing an exercise routine. The big picture. So can you tell us a bit about how you came to this, this space, how it's impacted your work and, and why it's so, why it's your higher purpose? Yeah, of course. So um, I suppose I've always been active. I've always been super healthy and into sports and kind of just, I put more effort into activities and being healthy and going to the gym and working out than I did my studies. So it's kind of been in the making for a very long time. But um, for me, I, I left university at 24 and went straight into a very intense environment within the financial services industry. So I went into a finance firm, <clears throat> to a sales role, and think Wolf of Wall Street, and that's not an exaggeration, it was exceedingly toxic, um, but British. So, you know, I was doing 70 to 80 hour weeks, going into the office on the weekends, and then I was living off of Red Bull and coffee, to get me through the day because of the long hours and then in the evening I would be drinking to wind me back down to be able to pass out um, and so that year that I worked in finance led to my depression for the second time hitting a really low point in my anxiety and and it was the second period in my life when I was suicidal so I was having serious thoughts about ending everything because I just was unbelievably unhappy it was uh, an amalgamation of a number of things, but that that job choice and that work just pushed me to, to the precipice. And I essentially just thankfully to a friend of mine, actually in America, he kind of sat me down on a Skype call and gave me what's what and told me what an idiot I was being, that I needed to make some changes. So thankfully I listened, I quit that job. 
uh, didn't decide to jump off a bridge, you know, which was a serious thought at the time. And I went into health and 11 and a half years later, I'm still doing it and absolutely loving it. So for me, I started off as a personal trainer, working for Virgin Active in the gym in London. And it was all nutrition and exercise focused. So, you know, I was taking exercise courses on kettlebell training, TRX training, all the stuff, all the gadgets, um, and also extra nutritional courses. And I was realizing that clients just weren't getting great results. And it was because they couldn't adhere to stuff, they couldn't stick to stuff. And it kind of piqued my interest into why that was. And then that was a bit, I felt a bit like, in hindsight, I look back on it and it's a bit like Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole. I didn't realize kind of what I was going to start when I was interested in figuring out why people struggled so much. But like I say, it's been a number of years now and it's something that's really kind of captivated my interest for my own journey of healing. And I think that's really what drives everything for me is I realized I had so much work to do on me. I was so broken and still traumatized from all the trauma I went through, through my kind of young life and teenage years that I wanted to figure out how I could heal myself. And then that just, that was my entry point. And then I realized that the stuff I was doing for myself, the more I spoke to my clients, I realized that so many other people struggle with the same thing. Just a scary amount to be totally honest. And that's kind of why I work with men is it's not because I dislike working with women. It's there's a lot of help for women. A lot of people in my industry target women because they are more open to admitting that they need help or guidance is where men can be quite, oh, I don't need any help, I'm fine. And so I realized that what I was struggling with, I wasn't special. You know, we, we talk a lot at the moment about how, how high the male suicide numbers are. And I think that's because there's so much trauma that men experience both as a child, but also as an adult. And they just, in, in the UK especially, and I'm sure you've felt this, Reese. it's the stiff upper lip mentality that the UK is famous for. You know, it's, it's have a stiff backbone, keep your mouth shut and just, and push through, man up as they say. Um, so that wasn't working for me. It was making me want to kill myself. So I was like, well, if it's not working for me, I'm sure it's not working for anyone else. And so, Combining the health aspect with my spiritual beliefs as well, because I'm, I chose to be Buddhist and follow a Buddhist kind of approach to life when I was around 18, 19. So that helped as well. So there's a lot of what I do is inspired from a spiritual perspective from Buddhism, such as the meditation, the gratitude and things like that, that I incorporate in the work I do. Um, but I just remove the spirituality. I just take the bare bones of the science of how it works. And then I help help apply that for my clients so in a nutshell I was trying to get healthy and try and get fit and I realized I needed to work on my decision making my stress my reaction to stuff my anger I had serious anger problems for many years um, and so that my need to heal myself led me down that road now you know 11 years on I've spent those years helping hundreds if not thousands really of men go on their own journey. I kind of, I use the analogy a lot of I'm a, I'm a guide. So I'm not kind of necessarily, I don't have all the answers all the time, but I've walked the path that a lot of people need to walk. And so I can just help them avoid the pitfalls and the, the long routes. And I help them get the shortcut to the problem. That no, makes... so, 
when yeah sense. when you help people heal trauma or look at trauma often you're unlocking their ability to see their own solutions after that anyways which is kind of awesome yeah so from everything that you shared i wrote down pretty early on i'm like i want to ask about this so our listeners our our regular listeners will know at the end of the show we have a rapid fire q a and one of the questions is when your best friend's having a meltdown what do you say to them not to mm-hmm. minimize suicidal thoughts as being a meltdown but i'm supremely curious as to what was it that your friend said to you so he's an american guy first and foremost sicilian irish background he's very he's a very loud abrasive i love the guy he's my best friend he's very loud and abrasive character so it wasn't a soft approach Teresa, to answer your question well Um, i'm sicilian irish so i totally get it oh you get it okay so he he kind of just sat me down and called me out on my bullshit. But that we had that relationship where that was allowed and could work. Mm. You know, I, if he'd been like, well, do you think maybe you should try a different career, Dan? I'd have been, Ryan, what's going on? But because he just called me out and was like, you are not this person you're becoming. The person you're becoming is exactly who you've always hated. So what the are you doing? Was mm. essentially what he said to me. And I was just like, do you know what? That's a really, really valid point. I don't know what I'm doing. And to be honest, for me, why in hindsight being 2020, I got into finance because I wanted to make loads of money. I thought that's what you did. You left university, got a big city job, made loads of money, pay off the debt, earn loads of money, be happy ever after. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, well, if, you, if that's your main, truly your main driver, then fair enough, but it's not your main driver, is it? And I was like, no. So I was doing it because it was was expected of me. There was always this massive expectation from my parents to be very successful. And when you take into account that both my parents, from from what I understand now about psychology, I would argue both my parents had narcissistic parenting disorder. So I was raised with the mindset that your love is conditional on you being a success. Mm -hmm. And so when I realized that, I was like, oh, that's why I do what I do. Because I'm so desperate to feel loved because I never have, from my parents at least, then I need to do stuff that gives me the feeling that I'm loved. And so that was a really toxic relationship with success that I had to work through. So for example, I went from a very wealthy upbringing as a trust fund kid. I then went to uni, came out of uni and got a really well-paid six-figure salary job. And so I never knew not having and so my attitude to six, financial success, at least, was it makes you an asshole. Because in my view, the people I grew up around were assholes because they're all wealthy and weren't very nice people. Um, you know, horrible marriages, treated children like dirt. No one was happy. And so I saw people, I grew up with lots of success and saw it as being something that was toxic. So then I went, left finance and joined the health space because I was like, well, I can help people, but I don't get paid much. <laughs> Like I was on basic minimum wage when I started. Mm-hmm. So it was that mentality of, okay, I'm going to flip it because I want to stay away from that success that I, luckily I've, I've rewritten how I view success now, especially financial success. I, I no longer view it as being negative or toxic. Um, but yeah, that was kind of what inspired me to get away from that and to go into that. And that's, and, and to answer your original question, that's what my friend said to me. He just kind of called me out on my bullshit. 
and he continues to do so to this day to be honest <laughs> we need those people in our life yeah. you're here but sometimes we need a soft approach so for example for most of the most of my clients well, all of my clients are men and they tend to be executives or business owners so they tend to be between 35 and 55 as a general age bracket and if i'm totally honest the majority of men i speak to haven't had most of the conversations that we have they've never had them before so i can't do the call you out on your bullshit approach because that would just put up barriers it would just normally to an alpha male confronting someone like that isn't necessarily always going to be the best response so for me it's more a case of coming back to what i said earlier about helping them to have the epiphany or helping them to have the realization it's asking the right questions so that hopefully they get to the point where they realize the falsehoods that they're living by and then want to pursue their actual truth and find their purpose and things like that. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so much there to, to uh, connect with, to deliberate. I think, you know, first of all, there are many people that we work with in this experience who have had a similar kind of trajectory as what you had, but they had it over maybe 10, 15, 20 years. And you seem to have like super condensed it into just 12 months, which obviously was maybe a bad thing, but also a good thing. It gave you, it allowed you to see both sides of what was going to be in a very short amount of time. So you weren't able to kind of coexist in this experience and, and then build up your own codependency on whatever was happening over that long period of time so it became a routine that you an extra thing to break through you kind of just smash it all together and thank goodness you know it, your friend was there and you were able to to to, to come out the other side you know I, I know someone who was in a similar position who had a similar upbringing and background who went into finance and had the same kind of reaction and and, and unfortunately wasn't wasn't as a wasn't as fortunate um but um for me i wanted to touch on this bit about the the psychology because before we hit record you mentioned how how much of an impact how much of a game changer this has been for your clients and i know that when you first start and as a personal trainer you're probably just focusing on the nutrition and the exercise thing you would that's where you learn your stripes or whatever and then as you did the work on yourself, you were able to incorporate more of that into what you could offer to other people and so on and so on. And, and then interesting that you say the psychology has been a more recent addition. So I wanted to know what was it that primed that and, and then what is it that you're seeing the benefit for with your clients? Good question. So I think the psychology thing massively came through the personal work I was doing to try and understand why I was the way I was why I felt how I felt, um, because self-awareness is crucial to all of this. So I was a very angry, negative, I had the nickname at university of old man Stevens because I was <laughs> always negative and grumpy. So I've, I've, I feel I've done a 180 from who I was. I am a totally different person to who I was um, before I found before I not found, that sounds a bit cultish, cultish, but before I got into the health space. Um, so it came through wanting to be a better person. It's always been driven by the Buddhist belief of become a better version of yourself. You know, you, you are you, but you need to go through things. You need to always be working on improving who you are. So that inspired it. But then all the therapy I had, I mean, I've had therapy on and off for 20 years, 23 years. 
So through all the therapy, I've gained an amazing insight into why I do what I do from a clinical perspective. But then I found that the clinical stuff helped you understand the problem, but it didn't help you put things in place to resolve the problem. So then that triggered me to be like, right, there seems to almost be a gap between therapy to help you understand why you are the way you are and what originally health health coaches were doing or are doing where it's focusing on just the nutrition and exercise, you need something in between. So I kind of wanted to figure out if there were things that I could do with my clients that I would, you know, not have to go back to school and become a a psychotherapist or anything. I would be able to help them with. Um, So through my own journey, wanting to help them through the therapy, through an, an insane amount of reading, um, I mean, this isn't even all of my books. I've got an awful lot of books in storage, but um, just constantly trying to learn. Then that made me realize, I, I'm not sure what the tipping point, Reese, was when I realized the importance of the psychology. I think it was more an amalgamation of stuff, just a general building up of, wow, okay, so we do what we do because of how we feel. And we feel how we feel based on all of our ex- past experiences stuff that hits a trigger, that hits a pain point, that makes you fly off the handle for no reason. Um, So trying to figure out how can I put into place stuff to help clients work through, well, first of all, increase their self-awareness so they're even aware of what they're doing, because sometimes people don't even realize why they do what they do. So first of all, it's becoming aware of what you do. Then it's trying to figure out why you do those things that you've become aware of the subconscious drives because you know, don't forget 95% of all of our daily ha- our daily actions are habitual so the subconscious so 95% of our waking hours we don't even realize that we do what we do so then when I had that realization through research I realized that habits were the key to long-term change you know willpower and motivation will only get you so far those two things will run out eventually um so if we can work on changing our habits though at a fundamental level then people are going to be changed at the subconscious level where they don't have to think about it so i have clients that i've worked with for a 16-week period which is my shortest course and at the end of it they're like do you know what i don't even think about fasting i don't even think about drinking enough water or i don't even think about doing meditation or gratitude practice it just feels natural what feels weird is when i don't do the stuff Mm -hmm rather than what most people experience when they try to get healthy is it's a constant battle of your willpower and motivation pushing you to make the good decisions all the time so yeah the the subconscious is extremely powerful and figuring out how we can alter it how we can get ourselves to change our habits at a fundamental level but really the deep the deepest work around the psychology is is figuring out your why i think a lot of people bandy that term around but for me that means why do you do those negative things or unhealthy things that you do? So to, if you don't mind me role-playing like with myself, how it works, it would kind of be, so what's the problem? It's okay, well, I don't know, I don't know how to eat. I'm always eating crap. I snack late, in, late at night, et cetera. And I'm, okay, why do you snack late at night? And they'll think about it and they'll go, oh, because I'm hungry. So, okay, are you really hungry? Or think about it, are you actually hungry two hours after having a big dinner? Or is it possible that maybe you're sat there for the first time in the day, you're, you've calmed down and your thoughts are coming forwards. 
and there's things that you're starting to think and then feel that don't make you comfortable. Is it possible that you feel uncomfortable and then you're reaching for the candy bar, the crisps, the Coke, the whiskey, whatever it is, drugs to suppress and numb that negative feeling. And sometimes it can't be that quick and direct. Sometimes it's me, because like I said earlier, and I said a couple of times, I want them to have the realization. But with the right kind of questioning, you get them to a point where like, Do you know what, when I think about it, yeah, maybe I am reaching for the food because I'm unhappy. And then you've just, you've just moved their, you've leveled up their self-awareness a fraction. And sometimes they have to sit with that for a week or two mm-hmm. and just view that across their entire life. And like, where do I do other stuff like that? And then once they've kind of come to terms with that and they understand it much more easily, then you take them to the next level. And then it's trying to figure out, okay, so now you know that your emotions are driving your eating. It's not a case of you being an idiot and not knowing what to eat. It's never that, it's never that simple. You know, people are not overweight because they're idiots. They're overweight because they're unhappy. They're overweight because there's trauma that causes them so much pain that the minute they're alone with their thoughts, they need to reach for whatever it is to numb everything. Um, So then realizing that, helping them, and then you just gradually work them through the process so that they get this deeper and deeper understanding all the way back to the original inciting incident that actually may have triggered everything. So, you know, for me personally, using my own personal story, I grew up playing loads of sports and regardless of how good I was, regardless of how many goals I scored, captaincies, promotions, cups that were won, my dad was never happy. He would never say congratulations for winning the tournament. He would only focus on what I did wrong. So for me, over the years, that became nothing was ever good enough. So then for me, I did two things to avoid the pain of failure. I procrastinated and I became a perfectionist. If I procrastinate, then I never finish anything and then therefore I can never fail. And if I'm a perfectionist, that also stops me from ever completing it because nothing's ever perfect. So again, I avoid failure, but then I also never achieve anything. There's a piece in there I want to pick up. It's one of the things I do with my clients is like the Japanese art of shuhari. So the progression, super important for progression and each person's length of time in each stage of foundation maturity mastery is their length of time. Because as you said, sometimes it's easier for people in a sense. Uh, Sometimes that's motivation driven, willingness driven. Also, they have some foundation of awareness already. Yeah, it's huge. Sometimes the pain isn't as deeply uncomfortable for them so they can move through it a little easier. So my question around it is often we get messed up in the facade of what a better version of ourselves actually is. So we get messed up that it's related to the external looks, possession, status, uh, more, the more, more, more mentality. Cause like better implies more. Yeah. Whereas oftentimes in the work that we're doing under psychology is we're actually trying to get less. <laughs> Which is a, a unique perspective, right? When we're thinking progression, but we want less of progression. So what I hope you can share with our listeners is perhaps with yourself and or with your clients, 
especially in that arena of awareness, as you go deeper and deeper, what you notice are perhaps key unlocking points from foundation to maturity to mastery that you notice in behavioral shifts? Okay, it's, that's a, a good question. I'll try and answer it the best I can. So both personally and with clients, was one of the reasons I do video calls as a preference is so that I can watch my clients. Body language speaks a lot louder than what we verbally say, especially mm -hmm. in the, the first stage that you mentioned. So people will say one thing, but that doesn't mean that's the truth. They're either they don't know the truth or they don't want, to, they're not comfortable telling you. So they might say one thing, but their body is screaming something else. So in the very beginning, it's often there's a dissonance between what they're saying and how they're behaving or how they say it, the tonality. Um, but as they go through the process, I look for them using the language that I've been trying to use with them. So it's almost like a parrot or a mirror. So when I have my coaching calls with clients as we're going through the work, when they can repeat back to me, not being prompted, but when, when I'm asking them, how's your week been? Have you done with X or Y? And they start to sound like me and they start to be able to very eloquently describe and explain how they feel and why they feel that way and how they're responding, then I know that it's sinking in and it's working because their language changes, mm -hmm. their physicality changes, they get more comfortable. There's a lot of this at the beginning of my coaching calls and a lot of leaning back and getting as far away from the camera as possible. And then a few months in, it's like this. They're there, they want to know that they understand that it's not going to be a painful, it may be painful, but it, it, I'm going to be there to support them. So they get more comfortable and that no, well, the no's there, the light's there, but the trust is now there. Mm -hmm. um, so that there's a number of things. It's the body language, it's the way they speak. You know, often, I, I can't remember the exact phrase, but when they talk about the, um, the other side of complexity is simplicity. When you understand something so well, you can talk about a complex situation simply. So I kind of look for my clients to show some semblance of that when we talk about things. Um, so that, does that kind of answer to a degree yes. of what you're saying? Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. <clears throat> okay. So <clears throat> in terms of a traditional, when my assumption of um, a health coach, the people who will come to those, come to those kind of thing, I know that you're much more than that now, obviously, but um in my mind, the people who are coming to that for a fitness coach, anyway, they're looking to looking for a different kind of success. They're looking to improve the exterior image rather than, you know, totally negating the in, in, the internal image, which is obviously seems to me like, you know, you're selling this one thing, but the work that you're doing slowly and, and surely, and, you know, you, you talk about, I want them to sort of change their mindset and even talk like me and, and, and re replicate what I'm doing to really follow your path. But, this success that we're looking for from a financial point of view is being replaced by a body image success. And so they're looking purely on that external thing. So in terms of what it is that changes someone's <clears throat> receptibility to that, you talked before, I know we wanted to discuss maybe the relationship building aspect of this and, and particularly how you, um, specifically how you would choose your clients. And you said something which was interesting to me that you have like two, three, four step process to actually finding this right fit. And we all know that it's important to find that right fit when you're having wanting to uh, foster a successful relationship. But 
I'm interesting to, to know how this multi-step process um, begins and ends. And it, I don't want to use the word vetting, but I guess that's kind of what- That is a good word. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's my recruitment background. Um, <clears throat> but um, in, terms of, in terms of finding that, what is it that you're really, what is your process and why is it so crucial to mm. them to achieve the results that you're hoping every client you work with can achieve? Good question. Um, this kind of, when I heard you saying that, there's two things that came to mind. And the first one is clients come to me because they tend to want to lose weight. They come at it from where they're at. They come, from, they come at it from, I'm unhappy with my image, I'm happy how I look, and I'm unhealthy, I don't want to die young, and all these different surface level reasons. But they're not really coming to me because I don't like the way they look. That's just what they are telling me. Mm -hmm. What they really want to do is they want to lose the weight so that there's romance back in their marriage. It's never the surface level reasons they give you. You know, the guys come to me hugely overweight. They've got a couple of kids. Romance is all, all but almost gone sometimes. And they'll say, oh, I just want to, you know, look, look and feel better so I don't die going up the stairs at the office. And I don't have to worry about what chair I sit in in a board meeting, worrying it's going to break if they're exceptionally overweight. It's actually that's those are important. But for them, it's really about I want to feel good in my own skin. I want to feel like I have worth again or for the first time have worth. So when I first speak to clients and they give me their their reasons why they want to work with me or why they're talking to me, I always make a note of it. But I'm like, OK. That's like the outer layer of the onion that's a million miles away from what's really driving this. Um, so kind of to answer one bit, it's that's what I would say. But then on another level of the vetting process, <laughs> to use that term and the relationship side, because I don't just work on nutrition and exercise, I work on sleep, stress, mindset and mental health. I don't always tell clients that when I'm having that initial conversation with them because most men, these are generalizations, I'm very aware of that, but a lot, most men, if I said to them, right, you wanna lose weight, look great, be fit, be healthy, look great on the beach. Okay, we're gonna to have to dig deep into your trauma. They're gonna be like, where's the, where's the end button? Do you know what I mean? They're not, they're gonna cancel that call because I haven't built that trust up. So it's, I hope people don't think it's achy of me because if a client only wants to work with me on exercise and nutrition and maybe a bit of sleep, that's fine. Like I'll meet the client where they're at, but if they are open, once we get going and once we start having the, the vetting discussions um, and they start to see, because I try to help them see how the other stuff is actually the driving force behind everything. That's one of my ways of vetting is how, how do they respond to me challenging them that maybe it's not just about losing the man boobs and the gut. If they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, then I'm like, okay, do you know what? I don't think this, you know, I'm always exceptionally polite, but it's like, I don't know whether we would be a good fit. I have some other people I can refer you to. Um, but if in, in kind, they come to me thinking they just want to lose the gut and get in shape. And then we start to have these conversations in my two, three, four, step process I have to get to onboard a client um, and they show that they are open and responsive to it, then 
that's one big ticket that says these guys could be a really good fit because just in the beginning they're open to having the discussion so it's kind of I don't coach them during that onboarding process seeing whether they're they're good fit but I touch upon the coaching to see how they respond to how I work and if the walls go up if the armor comes on um, or it's always on at that point but if they get their shield out and they're promptly saying bugger off then I know it's not gonna then then you know it might not be that they're not the right fit but it's not the right thing for them now because mm-hmm. people are in different stages of their own journey so I have people I speak to for three years before I become a client you know I'm work, I've worked with a guy for the last year who I was speaking to for two years before we started working together mm-hmm. and it's not because he couldn't afford it or he didn't want to do it he just wasn't in the right place for himself to admit to himself that you know I do actually need help with more than just what I'm putting in my mouth so it's a two-way thing as well though don't forget you know, the vetting process is for them to vet me as well so that's the other thing if I speak to them more and more and not just a quick okay my course is this do you want to work with me mm-hmm. they haven't had a chance to see if I'm the right for them and I haven't had a chance to see if they're right for me so lots of conversations back and forth via you know emails and direct messenger or text then two, three, or even four phone calls or video calls. And then we onboard if they want to work with me. And then it's kind of a process of, in regards to the, the relationship building, once they are a client, I always start off looking at the nutrition and exercise. Mm-hmm. So I always start off with the surface level stuff, the fluffy stuff that no one's going to have a problem with. And then once, you know, a month in, and they've lost two or three pounds a week, and they start going, do you know what? Dan does know what he's talking about. He's actually helping me lose weight. This isn't horrible. This isn't a misery-inducing dietary approach. He's not asking me to do horrible things. The trust level's built. So whether it's two weeks in, four weeks, six weeks, whenever it tends to be, that's when I then start to skirt around the edge of the deeper topics, around the mindset, around their outlook, around the why behind why they do everything. And if the client's receptive, then we double down on that stuff. Because to be honest, with my approach, the nutrition and exercise stuff is super simple. Yeah. I don't need very long to help people get that stuff right. But the thing that stops people from having great results and sustaining those results is their mind and their outlook gets in the way. So they get so stressed and they haven't learned how to cope with stress differently. They haven't understood why they react the way they do so that the minute they are chronically and and constantly stressed, everything goes out the window. But if you do the work on the mindset and the stress coping techniques, then they're going to understand their triggers and not go off the rails and not yo-yo the whole time. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm like, so on that note, hashtag not anymore. For our listeners, we want them to be able to have something practical that they could take away. It's like, I can do this right now. Based on what Daniel's been talking about, I can actually do some of this stuff. What would be the golden nugget that you would give our listeners to help them evolve into the being differently, thinking differently, doing differently? What would be a good starting point power tip you'd want to give them? Really good question. So for me, I'd probably say that without the guidance of somebody to help you figure it out, it is a lot harder to do it on your own. 
but depending on how far into your self-awareness journey you are, I mean, that's the first thing, you need to become self-aware. If you're not self-aware, you are going to have no chance of making long-standing change. So what we, the golden nugget, I suppose, would be put the time and effort in to understand your why. Try to increase your self-awareness to understand why you do what you do that you wish you didn't do. So rather than just saying, you know, oh, well, I drink wine late at night and I, you know, I raid the pantry or I raid the fridge or the freezer for the ice cream, don't settle for the surface level answer. Sit down and like, write down, what am I struggling with? What are, what are my current barriers to losing the weight and being healthy and being happy? Okay, I eat too much, I snack, I don't know what I'm doing with this, I get really stressed and then I reach for food. Okay, why do you do that? If you're doing it on your own, there's no one that's going to be shocked or upset by your answer. So you can, if you're at that place where you're ready to go there, you can be brutally honest and say, do you know what? I do this because I don't feel like I deserve to be happy. I don't think I deserve to have a good physique. And if you can realize that, then you've got to follow that further and just keep, basically, it's not as simple as just the word why, but yeah. keep every answer you give yourself, challenge it. Mm -hmm. Not that it's wrong, because mm -hmm. it's not wrong, it's you answering, but challenge yourself to see if there is something deeper to it. When did I learn that? Who did I learn that from? Did someone model that behavior? When did I start doing that? Because there's a triggering event that maybe set it off. How does it make me feel when I do? Yeah, the W's, the H's. Just keep asking what might be, what might be afraid of. What, when, <laughs> why, how? Yeah, yeah exactly. And I mean, that's that's really the key is don't. So so we have a self pre, self preservation mechanism in us. We don't want to feel pain. So we are not going to go to a painful place willingly, easily anyway. So if you're doing this on your own, try to put the judgment aside. Try to put the, the, the self-criticism, that, yeah, that internal critic that breaks everyone down. Um, try and put those on mute for a moment and just try to be comfortable, in a comfortable space, sorry, and just try to be honest with yourself. Because so many people I speak to are just kidding themselves. And, it's, and again, it's not because they're stupid. It's because they don't want to admit, especially with the men, mm -hmm. they don't want to, to admit that they are weak or what they, sorry, what they perceive as weakness. It's not weakness, but it's what they perceive as weakness. Any vulnerability to most Western men is a, is a weakness, is where vulnerability is actually where strength can be found. But that's hard to, to, to believe when you're struggling so much. And hard to do on your own. So for people who are listening and want to be able to take that next step, how can they get in touch with you? I live on LinkedIn. <laughs> so you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can go to my website, which is theexecutivehealthcoach.com. Drop me an email. Um, to be honest, all my contact details are on the website or on my LinkedIn page or on my Facebook page. So you there's three, three or so ways you can reach out to me. And even, like, even if it's not to work with me, I'm always happy to have the conversation with, with people who want to maybe have somebody kind of help them just get over that first hurdle of understanding what they're actually struggling with. So even if it's to go off, I mean, I've spoken to so many people who I don't work with, mm -hmm. but I've still given them advice and 
guidance and pointed them in the right direction. And then they've gone on to, to lose a bit of weight without the help. So, you know, even if you don't want to work with me, that's not a problem. I'm more than happy to still have that chat and, and even give you resources to look into that can help you understand how to do the journey on your own. That's how you know you're in your spiralist genius zone of genius, exactly in your why and purpose is you just do it whether people are paying you or not. Yeah. Thank you for all of your shares. Really brilliant stuff. Nice and deep down some great rabbit holes. So we're at that time where we wrap <laughs> up our show with the rapid fire Q&A. Five questions. You got your water in. Are you yep. ready? A nice little stretch. Are you ready? <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> okay. Question one. Which emotion catches you off guard most often? Frustration. What do you do to regulate that emotion in the moment? Stop whatever I'm doing and breathe. It's one of the best coping techniques is just to, just to create that gap in your thought process by centering on something simple. Let's all just take a moment and give ourselves a deep breath. <sighs> Always works. Always works. What's next in your personal evolution? <laughs> um, well, I'm far from perfect. Believe me, I am very far from perfect. So I still have a lot of work to do, but for me, I suppose the next step on my journey is to continue to let go of anger that I feel towards people that wronged me growing up, that were involved in my trauma. Um, I've come a long way in that, um, but there is still work to do. You know, I still get triggered by people who are like the people who cause me pain. So if I ever see certain types of people, certain subsects of the population, mm. I immediately get a bit, I notice my body getting defensive, my mind going to a certain negative defensive place. So for me, it's letting go is a huge part of what I'm working on is just letting go of those learnt scripts and habits that aren't serving my purpose. I know someone who's very good at helping guide people through that. <laughs> <laughs> you, Reese. Yeah, pointing at you. Okay, number four, when your best friend is having a meltdown, what do you say to them? The first thing is it's okay. Just relax and breathe. I know I sound like a, a parrot stuck on repeat, but if you are in a spiral of negativity, regardless of the instigating emotion, the first thing you need to do is break the cycle. And the easiest way of doing it is just to stop the thought process by focusing on your breath or focusing on your body, but normally it's like, for example, the same guy who helped me, he has struggles. Mm -hmm. So not even that long ago, I spoke to him. It was like, okay, I'm, I hear what you're saying, but we just need to, I need you to just calm yourself down because we, you're not going to be able to make any progress if you're stuck in the cycle, the cyclone of constantly repeating the same thoughts. So let's just, I hear you and what you're saying is totally valid. How you feel is valid but can we just try to put the brakes on it for a second so that you can breathe and get some perspective? I think you need to validate the person's emotions. Yep. Yep. Number five, in this moment, what are you most looking forward to or most hopeful for? Short-term, long-term? Whatever. Um, I mean, short-term, I'm just loving 
my life right now. I know that sounds super corny and people are probably going to hate me for that, but um, I'm loving where I'm at in my journey. So all the work I've been putting in for two decades is, is starting to pay off and I'm, my life is improving immeasurably. There's abundance everywhere in my life. So I'm exceptionally fortunate and grateful for that. And long-term, Teresa, I'm looking forward to moving to Canada at some point. Yay! So that's, you with open arms. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife's Canadian and it's the aim to end up there. So that's kind of my long-term dream is to uh, up sticks from the UK, move over there, settle there and, and live my life in, uh, in Canada. Beautiful. Yeah, no, sorry, Reese. Our, our upper lips are a little bit looser. <laughs> I know. But then the passive aggressiveness is a little bit higher as well. <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your story and, and your wisdom and your experience that our listeners can take with them is really just a great episode. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for having me and wanting me to be on after me postponing this for like a year. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for your indefinite patience. Thank you, Daniel. Um, I knew I liked you. Um, I'm reassured and confirmed that so many things Thanks. similar so much good uh, wisdom there shared, so much connection. Yeah, I've got the same bead, uh, yeah. Got a money plant just, just next to you there as well. Love all the books. Secretly a passion for Canada, but I wouldn't share that publicly. Something that came to when you were talking about that people are coming to you for weight loss, but we think of that in way too literal thing. We think physically about the weight, but actually the weight is so much more than and the physical appearance the weight is what's inside what's up here what's in the heart and getting rid of that is the real weight loss and the real secret that i think that someone with your <clears throat> holistic approach can really create massive impact for for everybody um <clears throat> thank you so much for sharing that with our audience and um echo Teresa's sentiment and really glad that we uh, managed to get this one in the can and can't wait to share it with everyone thanks for listening to this episode of tnt Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.